I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1000 Wives of Weird, the podcast that celebrates weird movies. And uh, this week we're doing uh, what we did last year around this time. I'm Brad Hefner and with me is Chief Keefe. Ian Kiefer. Oh yes, the young cat. Now last year, Billy and I, we, we sort of, because obviously we love movies, uh, Ian loves movies, we watch a ton of movies, we watch a ton of movies with each other, we figured we would do a nice little thing where we uh, talk about movies that maybe don't fit the show, although some on this list I we might cover, do a theme month, uh, like next February, March something, be like the weird movies we watched last year, so I don't know about that, but we're going to talk about some stuff that we watched together this year, we saw quite a few movies in the theater together. We watched a couple remotely. We watched a couple of the same movies separately. So we're going to get into it. And we're going to let Lady Luck decide what we talk about in what order. I have a random number generator set up here. So our first movie is number six. Ooh. Bullet Train. Oh, just released on Netflix. Bullet Train. We saw it in theaters. We which we were both kind of eh on Bullet Train, but it seemed like it was fun enough. Yeah, I think I gave it a three out of five. I think that's the best adjective for the film, is it's very fun. Yes, it, it's very fun. Um, uh, the cast is great, especially mm-hmm. uh, Brian Tyree Henry, who I love. An actor that we love has the surprise cameo. And we said this afterwards, it feels like classic Guy Ritchie. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, very lock, stock, and two smoking barrels and that kind of stuff. A lot of parallel storylines sort of crisscrossing. Yes. I really like uh, Bad Bunny's performance in it, too. He was good. He was good. $10 trillion tickets to Bad Bunny. That's <laughs> what it costs to see that gentleman. I've never heard one song by him, but apparently he's the hottest thing in the world. One of my uh, friends at college really likes Bad Bunny and got me into one of their songs. And I mean, I've listened to a couple of their remixes with like Cardi B and stuff. Are they a they? Oh, I don't know. I was just saying that. Oh. (laughs) Uh, I listened to a couple of his remixes. But his new album, Un Verano Sinti, I believe is how you say it. It's pretty good. It's way too big. It's like 20 songs and it's just too much. But Mm. there's more she send to you. I have no idea how to pronounce it, but it starts out like really slow. And I was like, all right, this is okay. And then he adds like a full orchestra, not even mariachi, but just a whole band in. And it goes into this super Latin pop. And it's really good. So I'll have to send that over to you. Well, thank you for clarifying that it was not a mariachi band, knowing that he is of uh, Hispanic uh, descent. I automatically assumed it was just mariachis, maracas, uh, people playing guitar held away from their body. Um, I kind of thought that too. Yeah, after I said that, I was like, "Oh, I better clarify that it's not really a mariachi band." <laughs> no, I didn't think it was a mariachi band. I'm, I'm saying you're a horrible racist. Oh no, um, I didn't mean that. Oh god. So I found out Bullet Train is based on a Japanese novel. Yes. There's a there's a running gag with Brian Tyree Henry's character where he constantly talks about Thomas and Friends, Thomas the Tank Engine, and that was something that I was sure was sure was an addition for this American version of the film. 
Turns out it is in the original novel. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that they had Thomas and Friends, Thomas the Tank over there, but I guess they do. And I guess it's big enough that it can be a character trait. That's I love Brian Tyree Henry in this, but I will say probably one of my least favorite running jokes is the Thomas the Tank Engine, because it's funny the first couple times, but by the end of the movie, it starts to get a little bit like, all right, I, I kind of get it and stuff. But it's it's not done too much that it ruins the movie at all or anything. No, no. Yeah, Bullet Train was pretty enjoyable. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on Netflix now, like I said. I don't know how long it'll be on Netflix, but it's really more of a theater movie. Yeah. Uh, just because it's big and loud and dumb. But I imagine you can have a good time with it uh, on Netflix. So one I give the, that a recommend. One of the things that sold me on it was there was a, uh, it was like a Japanese synth pop version of Staying Alive. Yeah, there are a couple uh, Japanese covers of songs. So I like that part too. But yeah, no, I'd recommend it too. Okay, are you ready to go on to the next one? Yep, I'm good. And we have 14, Black Phone. Now, this one I know we're divided on. We are. I really enjoyed Black Phone. I thought it was very effective. I had fun with it. My main thing watching it, because um, it's very, like, true crime horror. Like, it's set Mm -hmm. in the 70s. It's about a young boy who gets abducted by a serial killer, and he's locked in a basement. And it feels, a lot of it feels like a story you could hear on a true crime podcast. Like, so that was very effective for me. I forget who did the mask. Was it Savini? Yeah, it was. I forgot about that. Tom Savini's masks are incredible that yep. Ethan Hawke wears. There's an element that I don't want to spoil that was really effective for me and I really enjoyed. It, the main thing was I was watching it and it, it's it's good enough, but I realized that a, there are probably kids watching this where this is going to be like a building block horror film for them. Hmm. Like it's really going to be like, Oh man, yeah, this is this is huge. This is the best horror movie I've ever seen. This is going to be very influential on me. So that sort of bumped my score up a little bit because I was just like, "This is I really enjoy this. It's not the best, but I know this is going to blow some kids' minds." Yeah, I I would agree with parts of that. I I watched it. I think I also gave it like a 2.5 or a 3. I'm very conflicted. So I've only seen it once. I need to see it again. That was my biggest thing. My biggest flaw with the film is that I think it would be amazing if it was only done in the basement where he gets kidnapped. It's when it flashes back and forth to this. Honestly, all the plot without the kid in the basement is to me awful. I'll agree with you there. All the stuff with the sister... It doesn't work. It's it's so uneven, which is why the movie is good enough mm-hmm. uh, without the little boost from my uh, imaginings about what children do and feel and think. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100% there. Mm-hmm. And it's a little too much on the nose for me uh, with the bullying in the beginning and the dad and stuff. Uh, but parts of it, like the part where they're actually in the basement is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, if you were not aware, this might be a minor spoiler. The black phone is a phone that the kidnapped boy used to talk to the ghosts of previous kidnapped boys. Um, mm-hmm. That's part of the element that I like, the the relationship he builds with those boys. And it's all what I also love is it's all kids that he... It's not like contrived where it's like, oh man, all my friends got caught by the, the 
snatcher or the grabber or whatever. Um, it's all kids that he knew of, but didn't know. And I really like that element. Uh, what do you think of Ethan Hawke's performance? That's what I was going to say. I think that's the best part of the film is I think he's great. I love Ethan Hawke and everything, um, but I think he does a really great job. I think he was having a lot of fun getting to play outside his type. Yes. Like he's after like the, the sinister movie and some other, like he's become a bit of a Blumhouse mainstay. I, I think this was Blumhouse. Yes. Which was, which was, which is part of why I was so surprised that I enjoyed it. Cause we both are not big Blumhouse fans. Absolutely. Not. Oh no. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're a crap factory. Man looked good, um, get to see that one. But what's that? Invisible Man looked good. I didn't get to see that one. Invisible Man's decent. Invisible Man's pretty good. Uh, I don't like the way it slanders Invisible Men. Like, being an Invisible Man is bad. Like, not all Invisible Men. I just want to say that. <laughs> not fair. all Invisible Men. The last thing I'll say about, like, Black Phone is... Um, how much, Are we able to get in spoiler territory or no? Uh, yeah, let's throw up a warning. Uh, we're we're going to talk some spoilers for black phone jump ahead like a minute or two yeah um one of the biggest falls for me is the ending of the movie uh because there's a lot of plot contrivances in the film so i love the part where he the kid is able to you know fight back against the grabber and everything and, and that- all, all his ghost buddies are helping him i love it so much like it's he he made ghost friends and they're all teaming up yeah i no, love it fantastic and then the stupid psychic sister says, they're not in that house, they're in the other house. And then we find out there's been two different houses the entire movie. And why, 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 why would you use the house to kidnap the boy and torture him in the same house that your brother lives in instead of having your brother live in the house where you bury them? It makes no sense. Yeah, that that was a real a stupid plot twist that wasn't necessary. And I don't know if that was from the original story by Joe Hill, or if that was Blumhouse, or if that was the director, or what. Oh, right. I forgot that this was based on a story by Joe Hill, who I am pretty medium on. I, I love, I, I'm a huge Stephen King fan from back to my childhood. I've read some Joe Hill, and some of it hits for me, some of it doesn't. I think the book is completely set in the basement. I don't think it goes outside. I think that's all addition by the studio. And I think it's the studio saying, well, these kids are too stupid to be able to stay in one location in time. We need to add something in to help grab their minds, which you just don't need. Yeah, I could see that being a Blumhouse thing where, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Ready to talk about another? Yeah, I think so. Oh, one last thing I'll add about Black Phone is uh, we talked about Ethan Hawke's performance. There is such a cute video on when he's like kidnaps, I think the main character and everything on, it was like going on social media and stuff. And like he does it and the cameras turn off and he like comforts the kid right away. And he says like, are you okay? He seems like such a nice guy. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is married to Uma Thurman. I'm sure he's a lovely dude. Next up is number five, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. A Gen Z satire, quasi-murder mystery thriller. I think my letterbox review was Gen Z Agatha Christie, and I'm here for it. Yes, it was. Uh, this is another one we saw in the theaters. And this this was getting hype, and then it seemed to just like 
it was getting hype in some circles. Like I was, and then there, like I talked to Billy about it and Billy had no fucking clue what it was. Really? Uh, yeah. And like, uh, it didn't really get a lot of traction. Interesting. Yeah. Cause it definitely deserved more than, more than what I've heard about it and stuff. It's, it's a good time. It's really fun. Uh, some of the, some of the Gen Z satire might be a little on the nose. Uh, might be a little, it could also be annoying. Um, mm. But sometimes when you're satirizing annoying things, it gets annoying. Like I saw a movie this year called Deadstream about a YouTube streamer influencer type who goes into a haunted house and he's doing the YouTube streamer influencer thing where he's like overreacting and everything and like is being obnoxious. And I'm like, I think he does a really good balancing act where he's like, just the right amounts of each and still entertaining. Uh, I enjoyed the film a lot. Yeah, to do a parody of that, you need to embrace the worst qualities of that. Um, but Bodies, 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 we were laughing all throughout. Okay. I, don't, I, I was never really annoyed with these young adults. Yeah, no, I I think the, the cast makes the film, really. Um, it's not very stylized. I don't know. I think it's first-time director. It's, not, it's like it's shot well, but there's nothing that stood out to me about the filmmaking of it, but the cast mm. really just makes this film. And uh, it needs to, because we're... It's all set in one house during a hurricane, so we need to... Li- not like the characters, but enjoy the performances. Yeah. Uh, Rachel Seno is my favorite. Um, she's the one with the podcast in it and stuff. Yes, she was fantastic. Uh, she was definitely my favorite too. She's one of my favorite underrated actresses right now and stuff. Um, she was in a film, you've seen it called Shiva Baby. I have not. I kind of want to, but it also seems really cringe. And I don't... No, no, I know it's good, but I mean that relying a lot on like cringe humor and interaction. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, no, I there's parts, but I really liked it. I would definitely give it a give it a check out if you really like Rachel Seno's performance in like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's not more of that, but it's a different character. But it's a lot of she she has a very uh, stylistic style and everything. Yeah, uh, I really like her, and I would like to see her in more stuff. And yeah, I'll, I it's on my list. It's not high on my list because again, just just sounds like a lot of awkwardness body and bodies 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 it's mostly a female cast running this show yeah. which was nice like there are a couple of dudes lee pace and pete davidson yeah and i really enjoy lee pace he's in a movie we were going to talk about soon the fall mm-hmm. and pete davidson is whatever he does he does a good job in this film, I think. which is surprising because a lot of pete davidson stuff i see i i'm not I'm not a Pete Davidson hater. I like most of his stuff. A lot of people don't like him. But I his film work, I've never seen any. I never watched the one with the firefighter about his dad. And I was like, oh, King of Staten Island. Yeah, I never watched that. I've never seen like his SNL stuff. I've seen his Smart Water commercials <laughs> and um, this, basically. Yeah, how does this Smart Water commercial uh, add up to this? Um, I, I, it's... It's neck and neck. Smart Water is a great uh, Gen Z satire too. Every <laughs> every commercial, I'm like, who who did the murder? Who did the murder of the water? Who drank the water? Have you seen the Jennifer Coolidge? This is completely off topic, but have you seen the Jennifer Coolidge Old Navy ad? Yes, and I don't understand it. 
it's it seems like if a commercial could have a stroke, like that's what it seems like. Because I'm like, hashtag, hashtag sorry not sorry. What are you sorry not sorry about? Like I don't fucking understand what's going on. I understand the words. I don't understand what they mean in this context. I love Jennifer Coolidge, but I don't know what the fuck she's doing. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I, I need to check out that show, The White Lotus. Yes. I've heard great things about both seasons, and she's on the most recent season. I need uh, to check that one out, too. Yeah. And stuff, so. uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Uh, there's a pretty fun Charlie XCX song that came out that I think is in the credits that I think is also... It's it's very much... Um, was that Harley Quinn, the, the Harley Quinn film that Doja Cat sang Boss Bitch for? I'm not sure. Okay. I, I remember really liking that song. I haven't seen The Emancipation of Harley Quinn. I need to see that one still. It's fantastic. Uh, Billy and I saw it in theaters, and we loved it. It's a great I'll time. That one. I love the new Suicide Squad with James Gunn, so I'll have to check out uh, Birds of Prey. But yeah, like I remember really liking that song. I've listened to... I can't remember what it's called. Like I think it's called Hot Girl or something by Charlie XCX, which is also just a really fun kind of making fun of Gen Z song. But yeah, it, it, it's pretty fun and stuff. So I really liked it. Uh, the only Charlie XCX song I know is that one she did with Iggy Azalea. All right, let's see what's up next. Number ten. Sorry to bother you. This is one of the few. This is one of the few uh, movies that is not from 2022 on this list. I watch movies remotely with uh, one of my friends quite a bit. You're off at college most of the time, so we can't, like, bro hang. Also, you're so much younger than me, it feels weird to be like, hey, come over to my house and watch a movie. No, we we watched this remotely, texting each other while we watched it. Sorry to Bother You is, uh, what? it's like 2018, 2017. It's the same year as Black Klansman. I know that. Yes, I know. And there are very odd similarities between both movies, uh, which we can discuss. Well, let's save that for when we talk, because we're planning on talking about this on the podcast at some point. But it's by the fan, um, an amazing man named Boots Riley. Mm -hmm. He's uh, an activist and he has a great rap group called The Coup, which is just, they're fantastic. You need to check them out. They've been going for. Lord, almost 30 years now. Um, and and their songs are just fantastic. But Sorry to Bother You stars Lakeith Stanfield, mm-hmm. Tessa Thompson. Yep. Uh, you get a Terry Crews in there a few times. Stephen Yoon, uh, who I always love. Danny Glover. Danny Glover is in a couple scenes. Army Hammer. <laughs> Famous cannibal Army Hammer. Uh, a friend of uh, a guy I know, Tom Woodruff, appears in a role I don't think he's especially proud of, but I love, uh, which I will not spoil for you. But sorry to bother you, is this great uh, sort of anti-capitalist message. Like it's about uh, a telemarketer who begins to rise through the ranks after he starts putting on a white voice. It's great. There, there's wonderful uh, commentary on society and capitalism, and it's also very stylish to look at. The music is fantastic because uh, it was done by the coup. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually an album that came out before the movie, like a couple years before the movie, and then served as a soundtrack, partially. Yeah, parts of it, yeah. I absolutely love Sorry to Bother You. You told me to, well, we watched this one together. I absolutely loved it. Like, sometimes a film takes me a couple of days, you know, you got to marinate with it. 
right when that thing went to credits, I was like, oh my god, this is one of my favorite films ever. I love yeah. it. And I got really into the Coos music while I was at college. So that's been just an added thing. It's amazing when a film can add so much more, not even just that, but just added a whole new music group to me and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorite comedies, social commentaries I've seen in so long. It's so good. I, I love it. And it, it's not just the commentary. This is a genuinely funny film. Oh, it's God. funny. It, it's hilarious. There are wild-ass moments, like when... Uh, I, I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but Tessa Thompson does a performance art piece where she has people throw phones at her mm-hmm. while she recites a line from The Last Dragon, yep. which is uh, which is a bit of uh, 80s pop culture that might make it onto the show at some point. It's uh, I have a copy somewhere. It's 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 an odd one. <laughs> is there anything else you would like to say about Sorry to Bother You? The last thing I'd say is I wish I was into films uh, and stuff when this came out. And maybe if you remember, was this film successful, like, in theaters and stuff? I don't believe it came to the theaters around here, which is not saying a lot because the theaters around here, we didn't get Banshees. We didn't get uh, Spielberg's new one. We didn't get The Whale. We didn't get Tar. Um, So, like, that's not really surprising. And I didn't hear like a ton of people talking about it. It was on my radar because I'm a fan of Boots and the Coup. And it did get good critical buzz. And I, I think it did well enough at the box office. Uh, mm-hmm. And Boots has a show coming out soon. At some point, I think for, ironically, Prime. <laughs> I didn't think about this because, uh, well, I, I this movie came out, I feel, before like all about the terrible working conditions mm-hmm. at Amazon came out. But still... It's just ironic, uh, Boots Riley working with Amazon. I mean, this movie is aged like fine wine as well. Like, oh yeah, it is not aged a day, and everything. Let's get our next number. Number one. Uh-oh. Oh man, <laughs> uh, my favorite movie of the year. My absolute uh, favorite of the movie of the year. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I was. So excited for this movie that like every every week I was just looking at Fandango being like, when's it, 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 we need to get this. We need to get this. Uh, I mostly wanted to see it just because uh, the idea of A24 doing an action movie mm-hmm. was so, so appealing to me. I've gotten real hard into action over the past few years. And I want to see some elevated action. I want to see some idea action. I want to see some beautiful action. And uh, Everything Everywhere definitely gave that to me. And it's one of the most incredible movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's the only way you can describe it. Like, it's so hard to talk about without actually seeing it. Um, I'm interested because I've only seen it the one time when we saw it together in the theaters. And I've been meaning to watch it again and stuff. But I feel like... One, I mean, I just haven't had the time to watch, like, rewatch films because there have been so many other films I've been trying to see and stuff. Um, yeah. And also that film, I think it takes a lot to, you know, sit on and act. I mean, it's a very emotional film at the end and stuff. But with the hype of it and how that hype has stayed from the beginning of the year to now, and people still talk about it, the best film of the year, I am wondering if my opinion not would change, but if the hype would get to me a little bit. I don't think it would, but I'd be interested to see, so i got to see it again. 
I've seen it three times now, showing it to various people. Uh, I, I love it every time. Every time it moves me, every time it makes me laugh, every time it, it, I thrill at some of the action. I cannot pronounce his name. Kihei Kwan, something like that. The gentleman who played Data in the Goonies and uh, Short Round in uh, Temple of Doom. He is a fucking revelation in this movie, along with Stephanie Sue and uh, Michelle Yeoh is great, but Michelle Yeoh has been around forever uh, with varying degrees of success. She's having a renaissance right now, but um, Key and Stephanie are fucking amazing, fucking amazing. They're going to blow you away. Mm -hmm. And uh, the visual style of the movie is going to blow you away. Uh, The comedy, this is a, this is a movie where, some of the dumbest things in the world happen on screen, and then at the end you're bawling, and mm-hmm. you're like, "How the fuck did I get here?" Did you know Stephanie Hugh at all? No, I don't think most people did. I only knew her because I'm a huge Broadway fan, which is going to come into later in our list. But Stephanie Sue is in one of my favorite musicals of all time called "Be More Chill." I'm not sure if you ever heard of it. I have heard of it. Uh yeah, it tells the story of this loser kid who then gets a squip which is supposed to be like the Matrix, insert in their head, we can make them cool. Uh, Stephanie Sue was the original Canigula, uh, who is the love interest in the in the show and everything. So I knew her, because then I heard her name, I was like, I know that name. So when I looked up before we went and saw it, I was like, oh, she's that girl. She also plays Karen in SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. Okay. I I don't know who Karen is. Uh, the computer, Plankton's wife, the computer and everything. Um, uh, I've, I've barely seen SpongeBob. But yeah, so she was a big Broadway actress who was like very much theater and oriented. And I really hope she gets, I don't know, I haven't really looked at her work this year, but I really hope she gets a lot more stuff because she's fantastic. She is amazing in this. And um, like she's doing it, but it's also really amplified by the costume design and visual style of the movie. Like she's often in these wild outfits. One of my favorite, uh, one of the most iconic from the film is her sort of Elvis jumpsuit and just the chaos she causes feed so much into the character and tell us so much that that helps a lot too. Yeah, no, you're going to see some wild shit in this movie and it's, it's going to move you endlessly. Possibly. Uh, Billy and his wife were a bit cooler on it than we were. Mm-hmm. They still enjoyed it, but not it. Like it was, it was it's going to affect everybody differently. Yeah. But I think, I think it's moving as hell. Yeah. I, I can't see someone seeing this movie that likes film. I mean, I'll put that a uh, little asterisk in, but like someone who likes film and everything watching this movie, it just not, maybe not being as hot as we are on it and stuff, but just not liking it. I just, I can't see that because it's, there's literally there for someone for someone who watches all the Marvel schlock and Star Wars and that's it. Sure, I could understand that. But if you like film in any vicinity, then you'll love this. One of the things about this movie, and it it goes into sort of having a knowledge of filmmaking, is just the effort that went into like there are things we see for a second that had to be paid for and created in some way and directed and it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. The effort that went into this movie, I feel bad for the Daniels because where do you go from here? Like, what do you, what, what's next? No matter what they do next, it could be a completely different film. It's still going to be compared to this. 
mm-hmm. and that's unfair to any movie. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I, I am very interested to see what they go next, because Swiss Army Man, obviously you guys talked about in the podcast. I mean, that's a fantastic film, and then now this and everything, so like... But but you're right. I mean, their next film, whatever they do, it's not going to be as good as this. Like, there's just no way. I if, if it is as good as this, I might have to, like, just shoot myself from the sensory overload, because, like, I this movie practically wrecks me every time. I don't know how it could do with something apparently better. Um, Anything else you'd like to say about everything everywhere? Yeah, no, I mean, the only thing we didn't talk about is Jamie Lee Curtis is also really good in this. She is. I don't love that they put her in a fat suit. Oh, do they? I don't really know. Well, I mean, like, it's been since February or whatever since I've seen the film. So it's been a while, but I didn't know they did. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, they make her look real... uh, they they put her in a fat suit. Like she, I mean, she's a slender lady in real life. She is great, but it's like <sighs> the only other thing I really didn't like about it is I love Jenny Slate. I think she's one of the funniest people working today. But it, they make some pretty anti-Semitic jokes at her expense in the film and everything. They call her Big Nose. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know that Jenny Slate is Jewish. She is. Is she? I'm like ninety. Sure, she is. But at the same time, like Jenny Slate read that script, she agreed to it. Like it's not like, yeah, I don't think it's anti-Semitic, but I, I, I just think it's literally just a comment on her nose. It could be. Um, She does have a big nose. (laughs) That's fair. Um, But yeah, no, I didn't know that about Jamie Lee Curtis. That kind of, that kind of sucks. All right, ready for the next one. I think we'll probably be talking about after our list about a different film that uses a fat suit that we both haven't seen yet, but is very controversial right now, too. Yes. All right. Next up, we have Bones and All. Ooh, here's one that we're conflicted on. Yes. Uh, why, why don't you start with this one? I'll, I'll start with this one. So, yeah, we went and saw Bones and All. Um, you, me, Billy, the old mm. uh, host, and two of your friends. And one, it was so nice to be just, you know, around people again and like friends and stuff. But um, we, we went out of this film and I think we talked for a good 20 minutes outside the theater yeah. and everything. I, I love Bones and all. It's Luca. I'm going to butcher his name. Luca Guadagnino, something like that. I have no clue. Luca uh, Guadagnino. Yeah. Most famous for creating Call Me By Your Name, also starring Timothy Chalamet and uh, doing Suspiria which we talked about on the podcast. And I have now watched Lucas uh, Suspiria, which in my opinion is not as good as Argento's, but there are parts of it that are fantastic. Gotcha. Uh, kind of what Billy and I talked about that one off, because I don't think you've seen Suspiria yet, the new one, right? No. It, it, it's worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, Bones and All is a cannibal coming of age love story. <laughs> which is insane and it basically um i don't know her her name's taylor i don't know her last name taylor russell maybe is the all right the lead actress she's fantastic but she is basically a cannibal and then has to run away from home or her family leaves her uh her mother is we find out later like kind of there's something that happens to her mother and her father leaves her in the beginning of the film. And it's her coming of age road trip story where she meets timothy chalamet another cannibal and then i don't want to spoil too much but then they i mean it's not really spoils but then they just kind of they go on their way and it's it's kind of a road trip movie it's very coming of age and very body horror and i really loved it brad 
I, I thought it was all right. Well, you, the part of the problem is yeah. like, I can be very affected by knowing things in advance. And you, you had told me that like, you had heard people say, Oh, it's so gory. It's so gross. That's and true. I did not find it to be either of those things. There, there are a few moments, there are a few moments, but I was, I was like, okay, you want to give me some pathos and with my gore, I, I love that. Let's do this. That didn't help, but also I was just like, it's very good. It's very good. The cinematography, sound editing, uh, it's all great. Uh, Mark Rylance is fucking amazing in it. He's the best part of the movie. Made the movie for me, even though it's about cannibals. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel about cannibals, Ian? In general? Yeah. Not, I don't know. Not my fave, I guess. I don't really want to be eaten. Billy, Billy's really freaked out by cannibalism. Oh, okay. I, I think all people want to taste human flesh, like just <laughs> as a curiosity. I think like that's just a thing that everybody wants to do. And when people tell me they don't want to do it, I call them a liar to their face. I I do it on the evening news, like I, <laughs> like this. Uh, uh, Billy Martell's a liar. Ian Kiefer is a liar. I said I thought I saw you before we met or something. Yeah, the news calling people cannibals. <laughs> Yeah, not calling people cannibals, calling people out for not wanting to be cannibals. Yeah. For lying about not wanting to be cannibals, because everybody wants to be a cannibal. Were you in contact with the cannibal cop? No, I was not, because I don't like cops. Yeah, that's true. It's one of those things where even though it's about cannibals and it's different, it just... Oh, and uh, Anna Cobb. The amazing star of We're All Going to the World's Fair has a small part as Timothy Chalamet's sister. Oh, uh, I, that came out this year. That was last year. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it got a physical release this year, but it came out lasty. And everyone does really well in it. I was just sort of like wanted something else, I guess, which is not fair for the movie. But at the same time, like I've gotten so far away from these like this felt like a prestige movie that just happened to be about cannibalism yeah and and like afterwards we we're talking about like it's clearly not just about cannibalism there cannibalism is a metaphor for half a dozen possible things so i just sort of was like i've seen yes i've seen the pretty uh, emotional movies like i i don't need to see another one show me something different Mm -hmm. uh, which is always sort of what I want. Sometimes different is just a different way to punch a person in the face. Uh, but no, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it well enough. It's, it's worth seeing. It's good. Uh, and again, Mark Rylance is impossibly amazing in it. I don't love it as a lot of other things we saw. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I really like what Billy said after it also. Because like, I, I agree with you in parts where, like, yeah, Gore would have made it. But that just wasn't the film Luca wanted to make. It's, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and it's very... And I think I understand that because if you want to see, like, a film that's much more gory and stuff, there definitely are those out there and everything. Uh, but I think for the film Luca wanted to make, it's perfect for what he wanted to make. And I, I need to see it again. That's one of my biggest things. But it is a gorgeous... I mean, it might be one of my most... My favorite shot films of the year. Like, it is gorgeous. It is very nice to look at. 
Billy told us a bizarre story afterward. Mark Rylance's character has like a, a vest with a bunch of buttons on it. And <laughs> I forgot about the story. <laughs> Billy told us this story about how uh, his grandmother would take him to see the button man. Button man. And it was just it was just this man who uh, had a jacket covered in like he was just I guess all his clothes were covered in buttons or like yeah. His whole shed was full of buttons, remember? Yeah, he had a, he had a separate shed for all the buttons he didn't wear. I guess I guess he was on the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, Billy knew this horrifying and like the button man just sounds like a creepypasta monster. Like or like a, a, a shitty Blumhouse movie, like, oh the button man's coming this January. Um <laughs> uh, well, one thousand uh, weird is producing the film, the the Button Man. The Button Man, yeah, it's a semi autobiographical film about the Button Man kidnapping Billy. Yeah, it's it's basically going to be Black Phone, but with uh, the Button Man. We're gonna, um, we're gonna Billy Martell play the role of Billy Martell. Yes, uh, and he's gonna walk on his knees like it's tiptoes, <laughs> in um, order to portray child Billy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. We have a we have a meeting uh, with Ari Aster after this podcast. Mm-hmm. Going to direct. Da- uh, Ari Aster is going to direct, and David Cronenberg is going to write it. See, I would prefer it the other way around. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I would. I would be not that I don't like Ari Aster's directing style. I'd just be interested. I think he's a bet. I think his screenwriting is probably a little bit stronger than his directing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I feel like Gene, or David Cronenberg, it's a bit the opposite. Okay. What if we have Ari Aster write and Robert Eggers direct? I mean, that would be super interesting. But if like I could only choose one, I'd be like Ari Aster writes, David Cronenberg directs. Okay. Um, but like, it would be a hard choice. It'd be a hard choice because they're so linked in my mind because of that like mid... Uh, 2010s late 2010s sort of prestige elevated horror is the actual term that people use um or here's your third option it's like the three doors the monte carlo problem or whatever monte hall monte hall i'm very big on my 60s references (laughs) here's your third option david lynch writes and directs and we take a sorry ass out of retirement um I yes, if David Lynch wanted to write a sto- a movie called The Button Man and also direct it, yeah, yeah, I could, uh, yeah, sure, of course, Kyle, of course, get, I would pick that. Get Kyle McLaughlin out. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin plays Billy, and Billy plays the Button Man. Yes, <laughs> but again, it's still young Billy, so Kyle McLaughlin is walking on his knees like tiptoes. <laughs> Oh, God. I think we got that bit out. <laughs> Next up, we have number three, men. Ooh. Oh, it's a rain and men. It is a rain and men. That's off too. What's that? Let me start this one off too. Because I'm pretty hot on film and you're pretty, I think, pretty cool. Uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it well enough. Um, but it wasn't my, it's near the middle of my favorites list for this year. Uh, this is in my top three uh, of this year, um, even still now, uh, which I know is not a popular opinion, just like from watching other stuff, which I think is completely fine. Um, 
there are flaws with this film. Let me just say that right out the bat. There are definitely flaws with this film. But one of my soft spots in film and stuff is like, how do I say this? Like kind of the British countryside folk horror. That's just like, your man, I love that and everything. Folk horror, like the the Vivitch and everything, it gets me. And from the minute I got into this film, I was like, this is a folk horror with like medieval green man elements and I was, it, it could have been dog shit, and I probably still would have liked it, because it just, it looks like, it felt like it was a film made just for me, even though it obviously wasn't, but it felt like that. Oh, it obviously wasn't, Ian, it obviously wasn't a film that um, Alex Garland, noted film director, was just like, you know who needs a movie <laughs> for him? Ian Kiefer. Some 19-year-old kid from small town Pennsylvania. Two things. One, very briefly, men is about a woman who goes to live or takes a vacation in a small English town and spooks happen to her. Spooky things. Spookies. Uh, but uh, two, I remember you because we saw this in the theater together and you drove me home. Uh, and that was a creepy ass ride home. Oh, that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was like, I, I was. I enjoyed the film, but I was like, that was the best part of the movie for me. It's just like, oh fuck, I don't, I don't want to be like. You need to drive faster because I don't trust these woods. There's a uh, there's a scene in the film where uh, Jesse Buckley's character um, basically runs into the woods and then gets lost and then sees this man following her. And I offered Br- to take Brad home that night, which pretty much lives in like about 15 minutes into like these twisty turny roads and everything. And it was like a good nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And it was the first time I ever drove to your house and everything. So you were telling me, and I was just like, uh, what the fuck? (laughs) 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 But I also, I I feel like when we came out of that theater, you were very muted on the movie. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I, uh, it is, in my opinion, my favorite, except maybe Everything Everywhere, my favorite looking film of the month. It does uh, look, again, this was, I think this was a pretty good year for movies and like a definitely a great looking year for movies. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think I just, it's not a film I think I got on the first watch because this is one of the few films I've actually rewatched this year. I don't think I understood it on the first watch at all. And I don't think you can truly appreciate it on one watch. I hate when people say that. Oh, you can't truly appreciate it. But like, I don't think it breaks into the film enough on the first watch because watching it another time, after you know where the film's going to go, the mm-hmm. little things that Alex Garland adds in that and everything are fantastic um, and stuff. So, Yeah, no, I, I it really, it's, it's very slow burn. Yeah, you mentioned the Wicker Man. You mentioned the Wicker Man. You, uh, it's it's very slow burn. By the way, you need to check out Robin Redbreast and Pendus Fen. Uh, you need to watch both those. All right, I uh, they are. I really enjoy them. Pendus Fen isn't really horror. Robin Redbreast is will be very familiar. Men is uh, the well one. The ending is incredible. Yes. Like that ending is just amazing. Uh, I loved it. Uh, Like that, that made the movie for me. I was like, okay, that was worth that. That's worth the time. 
but it just it just uh, compared to the um, it's like I said, it's been a good year for movies. So yeah. in another year, men might be closer to the top of the list just because it incredible acting, great cinematography, uh, that cool ass ending, and mm-hmm. it creeped me out. It creeped me out, even though like. I've talked about this a lot in the past on the show, but since I take my psych meds, I don't really get scared by movies mm-hmm. anymore. Like I used to get really scared. Uh, I used to be like, I can't go to the bathroom because I'm too fucking scared to mm-hmm. walk across the hall. Now I, now I don't get that, which is nice because I can function better, but it also sucks. Cause like when people talk about things that scare them, like Billy gets genuinely scared at movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you do. Um, I don't, and that's something I used to never watch horror films. And then I wonder if it's just because I didn't, and then I didn't start watching really horror until thirteen, maybe fifteen. Just nothing really. I think the thing that scared me the most in the couple, <clears throat> the past year that I've watched, not just from this year, is maybe the Vivitch because there's parts of that that are pretty scary, uh, especially with the witch part when you see the witch for the first time. But that's like the only thing I could think of that's really scared me in a while. So getting spooked by a movie, like even if it's not during the movie, mm-hmm. it's after. That was that was nice. And Rory Kinnear is fucking amazing in this movie. That's what I was just going to say. He he is what makes it for the film because, not getting in spoiler territory, but obviously when you have a horror movie called Men, it's pretty obvious that this is a film about toxic masculinity and mankind and how men kind of suck. I think a lesser director or writer, I think he wrote and directed this, Alex Garlam, I think a lesser writer-director could do horrible things with this premise and make it so preachy and it'd be like, haha, men suck and everything. But it doesn't do that. It, you get across that message, absolutely. But it's yeah. not preachy. And how he delivers that message is all of the men in the film, one, are terrible to her, which that's kind of part of the preachy, but it's unwell, is all played by Rory Kinnear, the same actor. And him and Jesse Buckley, two of my favorite, they're never going to get any like awards for it, but two of my favorite performances of the year. Um, it, it's, I didn't even realize that uh, it was Roy Kinnear playing every part until after, I think. Like, I think that's how long it took me. Yeah. Aside from a black gentleman, thank God that Roy Kinnear didn't insist on going the Billy Crystal route. <laughs> no, uh, Roy Kinnear is fucking amazing. And like you said, it is about toxic masculinity and the shitty things men can do and what I you're right it does it handles it with a finer touch than a lot mm-hmm. of movies probably would like the first the first instance we see is with Rory Kinnear as the man who is renting Jesse Buckley the place yeah. and he's never like he doesn't like try to rape her he doesn't like uh call her a dumb coos or whatever he just it's and I, I find I don't like this word because I feel like it's a word that is easily made fun of, and like it's microaggressions. Yes, it's yeah. He's just like not listening to what she says, invading mm-hmm. her space, like not just getting the fuck out of there. It's a little thing. Like he's not a bad man, but he is not conscious that she is not being receptive to the things he's doing um yeah and he's, he's not like, mustn't do that or something like yeah. she tries to 
eat the apple. And... Yeah, it's just like, uh, and just sort of condescending and talking down to her. Again, not like pawing at her, not trying to kiss her or being like, uh, I don't know, uh, chloroformer. No. But uh, it's just little things. And that's what it mostly is yeah. uh, throughout the movie, except for uh, yeah, uh, spoilery stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, no, I enjoyed Man. It just, again, in a, in a, move, in a year this good or with, with this much varied shit. Uh, it, it's just hard for me to appreciate it. Anything else you would like to say? Thank you. Uh, it's my third favorite uh, film of the year. It's probably my favorite horror film of the year. Um, but like the last thing I'd like to say about men is like my, my favorite exchange, I think in the film is uh, the priest, which also plays pretty well in religious trauma and the priest seems like the first character that's a man in the film. I mean, also, the oh, the film is only has men in it except for Jesse Buckley and a friend that comes in at the end. And there's a policewoman. Oh, yeah, that is. I did forget about that. But, yeah, so the, the priest, and it seems like it's going to be the first person who's actually, you know, cares about her and, like, is trying to talk to her about her trauma. And then at the very end of this little spoiler alert, but not really, um... And he says something basically of the nature of you must, you must wonder why you drove him to do it and everything. And then mm-hmm. he starts just psychoanalyzing her saying that she's an awful. And it just, it's you, it, Alex Garland's able to turn it around so quickly on you. And yeah, yeah, yeah he does. By the way, if you are not familiar with Alex Garland, he did ex machina and annihilation. That's but are you ready for our next pick? I think so. It is number seven, The Menu. Ooh. And I, I'll i take this one because I love The Menu so much. It is a top five movie for me this year. It, it, it's uh, The Menu, very briefly, is about Anya Taylor-Joy and her shitty fucking date, played by uh, Nicholas Holt, go to this island that has a... Uh, much like glass, I was just like, huh, an island just like glass onion. Because <laughs> I just, they go and it's essentially like a Michelin star restaurant that serves very fancy concept heavy meals. And it's, it's been sort of, it was sort of marketed as a horror movie, which it sort of is, but it's more like a thriller. Yeah. There are horror elements, but it, it's it, it's also a black comedy. Like that's the uh, an important thing to know. We laughed quite a bit when we saw this. I think we had empty theater for this one. No, there was one guy ahead of us. Was there? Wait, no, no, that Not was. The, this was the one I think we had an empty theater for. What was the one where there was just one dude ahead of us? Was that bullet train. Bodies, bodies, bodies. I oh, think that's right. Yes. That was about yeah no we had an empty theater for this which is one of the best experiences like I I've had it a few times probably my favorite was Billy Billy's wife Kaylee and I went to see Justice League and thank God that theater was empty because we had thoughts <laughs> but yeah yeah we were in an empty theater so we could sort of talk and be like a laugh a little bit louder. 
the acting is amazing. Uh, you got a nice cast with mm-hmm. Ray Fiennes, uh, John Leguizamo, Nicholas Holt, Anya Taylor-Joy. It's The acting is perfect. The script is great. I don't have a lot of... like there. I can think of very few negative things to say about the menu. I enjoyed it so much. And it has a great... You can analyze it in a couple different ways, which I appreciated. Like, it, it's... It's a commentary on not just food, but also like art and artists and creation. I'm a li- yeah, I'm a little cooler. I do like it a lot. It blew away my expectations because from the trailer and everything, it looked interesting, but I didn't think it was going to be this good. And I thought it was going to be more Blumhouse fair and stuff, but it looked interesting. And uh, so I still went and saw it. I like it a lot. And there's parts of the comedy that I really like. But I don't think it maybe spoke to me as much as you maybe and stuff. Gotcha. One thing that helped with this movie, and in case I forget, I want to say right now, this is another movie where the ending is just yeah, amazing. Like I was laughing and also like <laughs> a little horrified. I This movie was on my radar, and I mm-hmm. think it came on my radar because... A uh, friend and first co-host of this show, Brendan Jesus, added it to his watch list on Letterboxd. And I was like, hmm, what's this? The menu. <laughs> oh, this sounds interesting. It has a good score. The only thing that scared me was that it was produced by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. Yes. I hated Don't Look Up. I thought that was your favorite film of last year. Oh, it was so close that it was at the bottom. Um <laughs> But, like, I, I fucking despise that film. But this is actually good commentary and satire. My, and I can understand that it's not going to play for everybody, but I, another thing that helped was um, I read an article right before this about someone going to a Michelin star restaurant and how, like, weird and unpleasant and just unsatisfying it was mm-hmm. as an experience and I was like, so that was fresh in my mind. And it was like perfect timing to see this commentary that's about food like that. Because, I don't know, I, I, I love the menu. Highly recommend. Probably, like I said, it's in my top five. It's either four or five. Yeah, it's probably my top ten, probably the, the lower ten and everything. But I really enjoyed it. I don't want to sound like I did and everything. I think the plot maybe for me was a little eh. Uh, the comedy was great, and the visuals were amazing, and the acting was great. But sh- but it is the perfect length. I will say that it does not stay. It's welcome too much or anything. Yeah, go watch the menu. It's <laughs> definitely worth it. You're going to have a good time. Easily a small screen movie. I just I always want to watch a movie in the theater so I can see it sooner rather than later. And also, I love the theater experience. I love seeing Nicole Kidman. Tell me about why I should love the theater experience. Like, um, I have so much heartbreak, so I like to take it there because in there it feels good. It does feel better in a place like this. Oh, man. How much do you think they paid her for that? Uh, It's got to be in the trillions. In the trillions? Yeah. She's actually like uh, Eric Roberts. She just got a good uh, good pastrami sandwich, and she did it for what she did. Uh, let me. I'm going to look this. Can you imagine if Eric Roberts did one of the 
AMC ads? I I just I just picture um like the camera being on its side and Eric Roberts like and Mickey Rourke is yelling at the director and like pulling back the slide on a gun. He does in Karate Christmas Miracle where he's like sitting on the or not not on Joker's wild, but like he's sitting there and he's just like society is when you're in a theater. This is what happens when you don't listen to us. He's like holding up a gun and everything. Okay, no one has reported on how much Nicole Kidman got paid for uh, the AMC ads, but but the total ad campaign cost AMC twenty five million. I'm going to assume that twenty four million went to Nicole Kidman. Um, I uh, the guy that I think is pretty famous though too. Really, uh, I, I'm seeing that it was directed by Jeff. Cronenweth and Tim Cronenweth. Oh, no, I was looking at the writer. Oh, okay. Uh, Billy uh, Ray Cyrus. He wrote Gemini Man, everyone's favorite Ooh. film. And Terminator Dark Fate. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about the menu, Brad? No, just go watch it. I loved it. Next we have number two, The Northman. I was trying to do like, I was like, Either like a Spider-Man parody or a Secret Agent Man parody, but Northman doesn't have enough syllables yeah. for either of those. So it's like, Northman, Northman does whatever East and West can't. Well, I have, an, I have an interesting thing to say. I'm not, I'll let you talk about the plot and stuff, but like you said about everything everywhere all at once, everything that the Daniels make will never lead up to everything everywhere. Yeah. That is my biggest problem with the Northmen. Uh, I need to watch it again because... Uh, the first time we watched it, we had just gotten done with a play, uh, pretty tired, and it was, and it's like a three-hour film, and it's an epic. But yeah, so The Northman's by Robert Eggers, who made two of my favorite films of the past ten years, The Vavitch and The Lighthouse, or The Witch and The Lighthouse. And to me, The Northman does not even stand up close to those films, but I also hold those films in such high regard, I understand why it doesn't hold up to that. Well, first off, the Northmen. Uh, speaking of Nicole Kidman, actually, that was speak of the devil, and he'll appear before you. The Northmen is a Viking story about a man trying to get revenge for his murdered father. On it's a little bit Macbeth or uh, Hamlety too, because his like yeah. uncle uh, kills his dad. And marries his mother. And was it his uncle or was it just a? It was his uncle uh, in Hamlet. It's Claudius. Yeah, his uncle. No, I know it wasn't Hamlet. I'm talking uh, about in the Northmen. I'm pretty sure it was his uncle. Yeah, it was either a, his uncle or a trusted uh, fellow clansman. I don't know. This was back in fucking like March, April. Yeah. It's a metal ass movie. That's what I enjoyed mostly about it. This is a metal ass movie. Uh, it, it's a bit. There, there are slow parts, but I don't know. It's a fucking Viking movie yeah. where uh, people get fucked up, and Willem Dafoe's and a cra- is a crazy shaman, and like a part of it. Oh yeah, like it's not great. Uh, I I wasn't didn't wasn't in love with it, but at the end, it is metal as fuck. Like if you just want to watch a metal ass movie, watch The Northman. 
Yeah, no, I would completely agree with all of that. Um, and it is definitely worth seeing. It's not a bad film by any means. I don't think Robert Eggers could make a bad film. I don't know how you feel, but The Witch and The Lighthouse were both my number one films of those years. Uh, I can't remember what else came out those years, but I enjoyed those movies greatly. That's Yeah, that's fair. That also didn't help and everything. But, like, it is very... I think the most interesting thing about this film is to see Robert Eggers make a big-budget Hollywood film, basically. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, it's... To call this a Hollywood film, I, I think, is overstating it because, again, there it's not like this was a huge movie. This wasn't, like, a big crowd-pleaser. Because it is slow. It is slow. For as metal as it is and as much, like, awesome violence occurs... I, what I appreciate is Robert Eggers clearly just does whatever the fuck he wants. Mm-hmm. Like the light, like I went into the lighthouse uh, thinking like, okay, I'm going to get a, a straight horror movie. Yeah. Cause that's what the witch was. Like the witch was a horror movie. It, it's a great piece of art, but it's a horror movie. So that was something I struggled with, with the lighthouse when I mm-hmm. saw it is I'm like, okay, when does the horror start? When, when when does the horror start? And yeah. it's only on reflection where I was like, okay, yeah, no, that wasn't even supposed to be a horror movie. This is just no. Robert Eggers' weird psychological thriller. And I he's just doing whatever the fuck he wants every time at bat. And I love that. He wanted to tell a fucking Viking story where for they play a Viking sport and a main Viking dude beats the fucking piss out of somebody. It's cool. It's cool. Like it's pretty good looking. There's some weird. There's some nice pagan shit in there. My only worry is like, and I can see this movie being co-opted by like the alt right, the Nazi pagans, the Nazi Norse. Uh, There's so much overlap with that shit. Being into Norse mythology and all that is somewhat of a red flag these days because of how much like. Aryan nation and like uh, white power people co-opt that shit. I didn't even know anything about that. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a whole problem. Yeah, they love runes. the <laughs> The racists love runes. But yeah, no, it's 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 a bit of a red flag. Um, but I love Viking shit and I love yeah. Norse mythology. So I'm like, at the same time, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do this. And if you love Viking shit too you're going to get to see some cool Viking kills. Mm-hmm. This ending is also really, really fantastic. It is. Um, I, I almost want to spoil it because I, I don't feel like it's a huge spoiler. It's not a spoiler. But I I almost want... It's not a huge spoiler. Oh, man. They fight in like a lava field. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. All right. Anything else you would like to say about the Northmen? No, I think I covered it. It's been All a pretty right. long time since we saw this one, so that's also... It has been. All right, now we're entering the part of the show where I start getting a lot of repeat numbers. 12, RRR, triple R. Uh, now, now, this is one that you haven't seen. It is. Um, and it, it's one that is a hard sell. Because first off, this is three hours long. Hmm. It's three hours long, and I... Uh, I have attention issues and I I can only watch a movie for so long before I'm like, I want to go play video games. <laughs> uh, sometimes, sometimes now that I'm off of the Soulsborne games, <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to watch a movie front to back. 
Although I think RRR was before that. Anyway. And two, it's a three-hour movie that is in one of the half dozen or so languages they have in India. So it's subtitled. There might be a dub. I haven't watched a lot of Indian movies. I, I'm that, That's not a field I know about. This was possibly my first, and it is insane. It is, it's an action movie. It's about uh, a dude working. It's a period piece, and the one Indian dude is working with the British government to sort of, like, infiltrate the people trying to overthrow the British government. But the action is so amazing and so ridiculous. Like, I, I, it's impossible to describe. You just need to watch it. And it's, I don't have a lot to say about it. Just that it, it's my second favorite movie, movie of the year. So I, I had to at least mention it. It's on Netflix, I believe. Okay. Uh, So So go check out film. What's that? So it's an action film. Is it like a comedy too, or is it just strictly action? I mean, there's some jokes in it, but it, it's mostly action. Like it's there, there's drama in it too, and it's sort of like historical fiction because it's based off of some real people. Okay. But, uh, it, it's mostly action. There's a one dance scene, which is amazing. All right, yeah, that's one I want to check out. I just haven't. Again, it's like three hours. I just have not gotten the time to do it. And also, you're not a big action dude, but this might be one of the ones that changes your mind. Like, it might be so over-the-top and crazy and just well-made that it might be the thing that sort of draws you closer to the genre. Yeah, because I really liked, like, The Fall. Uh, I think I was pretty action. I liked that one a lot, and I was looking everywhere. It has a little bit of act, like there's some, there's I guess a little bit of fighting, but it's not like John Wick. It's not oh, like a diehard. Well, no, I'm thinking the end and everything. No, that but everything everywhere is a little bit more action. There yeah. wasn't as much action in that as I would have wanted. Okay, next up, ooh, I'm excited for this one. Number nine, the Banshees of Inishirn. Ooh, you learned and how to this. Say- I I always figured that's how you said it. Oh, yeah, I thought it was Inishirin for so long. No, Inishirin feels pretty right to me. Yeah. Uh, but this is the movie we saw most recently. Yeah. Uh, so it's very fresh in our brains. This is my number three movie for the year. Written by director, writer, playwright Martin McDonough, mm-hmm. who we're both fans of. Yeah. Um, I've read, a, I've seen all of his movies. And I've read a lot of his stage work, and uh, I, I this reminded me. There's this movie I need to check out called Closet Land, okay. which has a lot of similarities with McDonough's The Pillow Man, which The Pillow Man is probably my favorite play by him. Uh, I really need to reread that. But this, The Banshees of Inisherin, feels more like his stage work than his film work mm-hmm. uh and his other films are like three billboards outside of ebbing's missouri is it ebbing's missouri yeah seven psychopaths in bruges great movies this is my favorite of his movies uh it's about two men on a very small irish island mm-hmm. and one day the one friend played by brendan gleason 
aka Knuckles McGinty from previous 1000 Wives of Weird Movie Paddington 2, and Colin Farrell, aka Dr. Eyebrows. But one day, Knuckles McGinty decides he doesn't want to be friends with Dr. Eyebrows anymore. And Dr. Eyebrows is very put out by this. And it also features uh, Barry Keoghan, one of my favorites, and Carrie Condon. I love this movie so yeah. much. It was it was funny. It was dark. It was poignant, which is all things that McDonough does so well. And also doesn't have the racism that sometimes crops up in his work. That is true. Which I appreciated. But the performances in this movie are all amazing. Like Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, Barry Keoghan, Carrie Condon are all just killing it yeah. so hard. Yeah, this is my second favorite film of the year. Um, like Everything Everywhere was one. This would be two and probably Men would be three. This is just fantastic. It's my favorite comedy. I, mean, I guess Everything Everywhere is pretty much comedy. But this is, to me, the funniest film of the year. And like you said, the performances, I know your favorite performer is Barry Kogan in it. Yes. Who is fantastic. My favorite performer is Carrie Condon. A Condon? 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 That's how you say it. Condon. I, I think it's Condon. Condon? Okay. She's fantastic. I loved her. And then, of course, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are in my, maybe, except for Knuckles McGinty, of course, my favorite performer. <laughs> these actors. They were both in, in Bruges. So this was a nice little yeah. reunion and they have great chemistry together and they're, they're both great actors on their own. And when they get together, it's just, mm -hmm. it's just fire. Yeah. Barry Keoghan's my favorite because like, uh, we, I discussed with my friend Emery in the Swiss army man, uh, episode. I love moon faced creeps. So like <laughs> Paul, Dan Paul Dano, Barry Keoghan, like they're just these moon faced creeps. That's why I don't know if you know this, but in the Batman, Paul Dano was the Riddler, yep, and Barry, Barry Keoghan is the Joker. And I just that. want all of Batman's Rogues Gallery to be like moon faced character actor creeps, like Carl Carl Farrell too, but he's not a moon faced creep. Well, after that makeup, he might be. He looks pretty creepy. Well, they as. A popular internet article says they should have just gotten Richard Kind to play the Penguin. Oh my god! Oh yeah, well he did it in Gotham, right? No, no, no. He had some. He played the mayor in Gotham. He played the mayor in Gotham. I love yeah. Richard Kind. Richard Kind is one of the patron saints of the show, along with Peter Falk um, and some others. But I, uh, Richard Kind, should be in everything. Like just been in a movie that you guys have done yet? We gotta find I don't think so. Yeah, we need to find a Richard Kind movie. He's a great actor, but he's not in much. Oh, no, no. I, I think he lives off, like, his Spin City money. Yeah. Uh, from when he was on that sitcom. One of my favorite Richard Kind. I don't think you've probably ever seen this. I don't know if you've ever watched Documentary Now. Uh, I've seen a few episodes. My favorite episode, because, again, I'm a huge musical theater Broadway fan, is they do a uh, thing of company, Stephen Sondheim's company, but they do something called, now I can't think what it's called, but anyway, it's all set in a one building and it's complete uh, making fun, of, not make fun of, but a complete parody of the company cast album, but all, they create all these songs 
that are company songs, but not quite that. So Richard Kind plays the doorman who sings a song that he starts out slow and he gets faster and faster and faster. And he's like, he's out of breath and he's like doing this and he's like screaming it out and everything. And it's absolutely hilarious. I'm sure Richard Kind is amazing. He is. Underappreciated talent. Um, yeah, he's he's fantastic. Banshees, um, yeah, I, I really, really love Banshees. I think it looks fantastic. It's my favorite McDonough. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like the, the landscape of this island, uh, I forget where they filmed, but it, it's just so goddamn beautiful. Yeah, no, it, it's absolutely gorgeous. And it, it's the great thing about this story is I don't think it's a big f- spoiler to say that what we learn, mm-hmm. what. I feel like the movie was marketed somewhat like was like, why are they not friends anymore? You find out very early why they're not friends anymore. Mm-hmm. It's because Brendan Gleeson, who lives on this very small Irish island in like the 1920s, realizes like, oh yeah, I just waste my life going down to the pub and listening to this idiot Colin Farrell, Dr. Eyebrows, talk about the dumbest things in the world, including just shit, including just like what was in his donkey shit. So he's like, I, I, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. I'm going to compose music. And you can see where both of them are coming from. Like you understand Colin Farrell's pain. You understand Brendan Gleeson's frustration. Yeah. It, it's a fantastic movie that I do not want to, the, the plot takes some turns that you were very surprised by. But I was just like, yeah, of course that happened. I, I thought it was going to happen, but I thought it was more going to be something that just looms over the entire movie. Gotcha. Brendan Gleeson at one point, uh, and again, I don't think this is too big of a spoiler. No, they put but, it in the trailer, so you can... Oh, uh, do that. He says, like, because Colin Farrell keeps trying to talk to him, he says, all right, next time you talk to me, I'm going to cut off one of my fingers and he'll, he'll keep going if he has to. Because I love this film so much, I will bring up the problems I had with it, which was one, like you said, it's uh, set in the Irish civil war, which to me, it seems like it was, it seems like it's trying to be a period piece with that, but it's just never incorporated enough. It's like three characters say, Oh yeah, the, the civil war is happening. And then we see like one gunshot and that's it. And it's like, does it really need to be here? Like, I, I'm sure it was a metaphor, like a larger historical context metaphor before between for what Doctor Eyebrows and Knuckles McGinty were going through. It, yeah, it could have been. Um, and then the other thing is, I just don't know how I feel about the ending. I don't know why what I wanted out of the ending, but I just didn't feel satisfied. Without spoiling the ending, like I didn't mind it. It, it felt okay. These two men are feuding. Like, it's feuding. It's Everybody knows they're feuding. Like, it it travels around the island pretty fast. I don't remember where it was, but someone used the word legendary Mm -hmm. in describing the movie's, like, themes. And, like, I think that was sort of what they were going for, where it's like, it's part of local legend about these two idiots who just fucking hate each other. Like, it's, it's, it's like the backstory behind some local feud that becomes part of legend and local folklore. I don't know if that's what McDonough was going for, but that's a context that helps me appreciate the film in another way. Yeah, no, that's... I love Banshees. It's so fucking good. I can't wait to see what Martin McDonough... Here's the thing. 
here's why I love Martin McDonough is like aside from the racism stuff, aside from his his poor handling of American racial politics, Martin McDonough's pretty consistent. Like I love Banshee so much, but mm-hmm. it's not so singular and insane like everything everywhere all at once. And I'm like, how is Martin gonna top this? I'm sure he can come out with a movie in a few years that's just as good as Banshee's. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm excited to see what he does next. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. <clears throat> so we have two movies left on our list. Nightmare Alley and Jingle Jangle. And Nope. Let's do Nope. Actually, Brian. I- Nope, I don't want to do it. Oh man! Ah, uh, well, Christmas joke for you. Is it a Christmas joke or is it a just <laughs> word you said on Christmas? It's not Christmas yet, but yes. And it's also not a joke, so <laughs> it's a Christmas pun as much as Die Hard is a Christmas film. Sure, I I don't want to. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> like, I just I don't know what's I don't like what's happening here um but uh yeah let's talk about nope nope is sort of an alien movie from jordan peele there's a lot of themes running through it i don't want to say too much like uh, my ethos as has been established is go into a movie knowing as little as you can i think that's always a benefit but uh i really enjoyed nope i really enjoyed it it has uh, a great cast i love jordan peele I think a lot of people's problems. Nope is a movie that is about spectacle. Mm-hmm. Like that's literally one of the themes of the movie. And we got to see this in the theater. Looked great. I really enjoyed it. A lot of people are going to watch it like on their TVs at home. And I don't think it's going to look as good. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's, that. I think that's going to be part of the disappointment. Cause I already know people who, have watched Nope, and we're just like, yeah, it's kind of meh. And maybe it is kind of meh. Maybe I'm an outlier, but I think if they would have seen it in a theater, they would have enjoyed it more. Yeah, I, I love Nope. It's not, I haven't seen Us, but it's not as good as Get Out for me. No. But I really loved it. I mean, the acting is phenomenal. I love Kiki Palmer. I've seen her in a couple of things, and she does great in this. Daniel is, of course, great. I mean, mm-hmm. It doesn't come close to his performance in Judas and the Black Messiah, but that's also one of my favorite performances of the past 10 years. So, Well, they're also different movies. They're also vastly different movies requiring vastly different things. I could say Stephen Yoon Yoon is in this movie, and I could say, yeah, no, it's no Minari, but... uh, Very true. That's a good point. But uh, yeah, Stephen Yoon's also fantastic in this. He is. I I love his character so much. uh, My favorite. Yeah. I, I, no, my favorite is the director. As I'm thought, he's pretty great. I don't have much to say about it. I just, I think it's it's a fun movie. It's re- it's it's Jordan Peele's Jaws. Yep. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. And I, I originally watched Jaws. I think on a laptop. Mm. So like. If I can watch Jaws on a laptop, you can watch Nope on your television and still enjoy it and appreciate what it's doing. Keith David's in it. Yeah, he is. He's amazing in it, too. Yeah. Uh, I always loved when uh, Dr. Keith, as I call him, Pappy Keith. No, um, that's just what I call him. Oh, okay. That's what he's made me call him. Brad, whenever you're around, you better call me doctor. 
<laughs> you guys had a they live fight and he won so you so he asked <laughs> you have to call yes him. yes i my uh decaying barely functioning body that can barely lift uh 50 pounds just like got filled with adrenaline and i just brawled with keith david for god 67 minutes i guess is what yeah. that scene felt like but um ah but it's yeah. great I, I have more appreciation for it now than I did when I was younger. Like, I it's... I have more appreciation yeah. for that film more than I watched it the first time now. I should watch it again. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Because I'm usually a one... really well. Yeah. No, I, well, I've always appreciated the message, but it's just like... I don't know. It's not as smooth as some of Carpenter's movies. I need to see um, what is the one where he plays Sutter Kane. I know you guys did that one on the podcast. The one with the novelist. Oh, uh, in the mouth of madness. I need to see that one. That one's amazing. I yeah. love that one. Uh, you've seen the thing. Yeah, of course. Incredible. Um, uh, yeah, John Carpenter used to be so good. <laughs> now he's. I don't know what he's doing now. He's playing video games. He's playing video games. He's going down to his concrete. Yeah, he loves video games. He's going down into his concrete basement and noodling on his Korg, on his Casio, on his Yamaha, whatever the fuck, he, on his Wurlitzer, whatever the fuck he has. Um, Is he still smoking? Oh, yeah. You know it. You know it, brother. You know it. He's calling up. He's prank calling Kurt Russell, being like, hey, I, I need to talk to Walter. Walter Mellon. Uh, is uh, is uh, John Carpenter coming back and making another film on your 2023 bingo card? Uh, no. Obviously not. Like, I, I don't think John Carpenter... Like, there are directors who clearly do not want to make another film, and I'm like, fine, if they never make another film, especially yeah. if the last couple films they made were dog shit. Oh, you know, um, like, Mars? Come on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. More like ghosts of fuck me watching that movie. But no, I, I Cigarette Burns was the last good thing he did. He clearly doesn't want to make another movie. No. He's clearly content getting checks from other people failing to make movies as good as his. Which I think like makes the money sweeter to him. Like oh I think I think if they remade one of his movies and it was like a genuine, like a huge success, John Carpenter would be pissed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from any celebrity ever is uh, John Carpenter's in some interview and the interviewer asked him, so what do you think of these, uh, of these people remaking your movies? And he like, he's like smoking a cigarette because of course he is. And he's just like, I get a paycheck in the mail, so I'm okay with it or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, why why shouldn't he be? He's he's yeah. a smart man. Like that's the thing is like everyone's always like, oh, it ruins the legacy. And it's like, bitch, there was a fucking nightmare on Elm Street movie that came out like seven years ago that you don't even fucking remember. Yeah. Because you don't give a shit about it anymore. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Like John Carpenter realizes that they can remake and redo and continue and reboot Halloween as many fucking times as they want. <laughs> Everyone's only ever going to remember Halloween 1 and Halloween 3. 3. Which isn't even a Halloween film. 
it's a Halloween film. It's just not a Michael Myers film. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I like Nope. Um, I'm just respecting Jordan Peele as a creator a lot more. I've been watching a lot of like old Key and Peele stuff and just so fascinating to see where he's come from and stuff. So The thing that made me respect Jordan Peele the most is uh, the Get Out Blu-ray has a commentary track, Ooh. and uh, which us did not have, and I was very disappointed. But Get Out is one of the best commentary tracks I've listened to because Jordan Peele goes like, all right, here's what I was trying to do here. Here's mm-hmm. why I made this decision here. I was going to do this, but I didn't because of this reason. Yeah. And he, he he's very, it becomes clear how thorough and considered he is with his direction that I trust him. Like when I saw Us, yeah. Us didn't completely make sense to me. But I was like, I trust Jordan Peele. I know he's doing something, even if I don't see or understand it. Mm-hmm. Which can be a, a precarious opinion to have of a creator. I, I trust Jordan Peele. So, like, with Nope, I was like, okay. This is... It, it, it's his jaws, but at the same time, like, I... He's saying more, and I need to sort of look for what he's saying. And I want to look for what he's saying because it's I love Jordan Peele. Yeah, I think a lot of it is with I forget the monkey's name, but also that part is also really indicative of the film and everything. Yes, yes, because it's some of the themes of the movie are aside from spectacle, like the exploitation of animals, the exploitation yep. of children, uh, the exploitation of actors in general, entertainment stuff like that. Like it's. Yeah, I was just looking you know, at my little get out thing here. And it does have the feature commentary and the alternate ending and deleted scenes with commentary. So I'll have to check that out. So you should watch Us if you have it. I should. I got it for $10 at Walmart when I was at college. I didn't have a DVD player, so I brought it back home. But I was always, always looking for a get out. And I like, they have a whole bunch of these. I guess it's universal, but I don't think it says universal. But uh, they have a whole bunch of these green and black things that look kind of cool. And I feel I'll get out one. I was like, eh, it's only $10. So. But uh, tell me about Jingle Jangle. Okay. This film. So you've heard of this film. Yeah. I'm surprised because I had not. So Jingle Jangle is, uh, let me see. I think I got, let me see if I can paste this. Okay. I don't think I can. No. Okay. So I was going to send you a picture of the poster because the poster looks absolutely horrible. So I was scrolling on YouTube and I saw one of my favorite commentary uh, YouTubers said something about this film called Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I think it came out in 2022. I think it came out early this year. And it, no, I had not heard anyone talk about this. I don't know if you can pull up a picture of the poster or not, but it's, it's insane. So it's a children's Christmas movie musical. And it's very Greatest Showman-esque. And I do not like The Greatest Showman because it shows P.T. Barnum as a good person, and I think he's an awful human being. But I love the music and the dancing, and it's the same choreographer of uh, Greatest Showman. So basically, I was looking into this, and I was like, okay, I watched one of the clips of the first song, and I was like, this is cute. And I was kind of in a Christmas mood, so I was like, all right, so I'll check this out. And I looked it up, and the cast is, one, fantastic. It's the best part of the film, which I'll get into in a second. But the director is a playwright, 
um, who's written some stuff that wasn't very popular, but he's a person of color. He's a black man. The entire cast, except for one character, is also black, and the entire production staff is black. And I was starting to wonder, is the reason why I've never heard of this film is that one, maybe it came out during like COVID and it got crushed down or something, but it seems like a lot of people didn't watch this film because it was a predominantly POC cast and uh, production stuff. So basically, Jingle Jangle stars Forrest Whitaker, which already it was like, okay, Forrest Whitaker in a musical. This is interesting. And it's about an inventor who creates this um, super famous toy inventor. And he has this, uh, creates life, basically, into a Mexican doll. And the doll can, like, walk around. It's voiced by Ricky Martin. And the doll can walk around, sing, dance, and he basically creates life. And then his apprentice, who keeps getting passed over... Um, basically steals the doll and all of the book, all of his inventions, and he becomes the greatest toy inventor in the world when Forrest Whitaker's character completely just stops caring about inventing because he can't, he doesn't have his inventions anymore. His wife dies, and his kid leaves him. So, we start out with a really young guy, and that's just before Forrest Whitaker is a young man. Also, Forrest Whitaker's character's name is Jeronicus Jangle. And then basically, so yeah, and then uh, the mom is played by the woman who plays Princess and the Frog, who is uh, his daughter and everything. She sends her daughter, which is Forrest Whitaker's granddaughter, and then basically she teaches him whatever the spirit of magic, Christmas or whatever. I love the singing and the dancing because Forrest Whitaker does great. He sings two songs and uh, all of the actresses are like Broadway actors and stuff. But it is one of, it is up there with Paddington 2, for one of my favorite, like, cutest feel-good films. Because it was not high art by any means. Yeah. But I absolutely loved it because it was so cute. And basically how it's all done is the magic that's done is mathematics. So when they do the Christmas magic, they're writing equations into the sky because they're inventors and everything. And it is just one of the most adorable films that I've, I've, I've hyper fixated on it a lot, which is so weird because we watch stuff like, nope, men, these completely obscure or not obscure, but weird out there avant-garde films and jingle jangle a Christmas journey. Has- well, that's how, that's how it goes, man. Like you just, just like movies. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need to be, you need to like a type of movie, just like movies. Like, I fucking jingle jangle sounds cool. Like I fucking like yeah Paddington too. Like shit like that. I like fucking just movies about dudes punching each other. I like movies where I just see a bunch of big titties. Whatever makes you fuck. Whatever entertains you. I I really love. I think my favorite part of the whole movie is that it's just it's a POC cast and a production staff, which you just you don't see very often and stuff. Also. You like when black people serve you and entertain you and like do a, no. a nice sh- soft shoe for you, a nice little, uh, you want, you want Mr. Bojangles to just, uh, float down. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, but, but the, the character who's playing the banker, who's going to take Hugh Bonneville, I saw on Wikipedia, yes. Lord Grantham and also Paddington daddy. Yes, 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 yes. And he, he plays the best part. Also, it's very steampunk-esque because it's set oh, in it? the 1800s. So there's a lot of that. Like, There's a lot of steampunk stuff. And uh, Felicia Rasad is in it. Uh, Clara Huxtable from the Cosby yeah. Show and stuff. Um, but, uh, Say that name again. 
What's up? Say that name again. Felicia Rashad. Did I say that wrong? Felicia? I thought it was Felicia. Is it Felicia? It's I don't know. Y-L-I-C-I-A. I always heard it as Felicia Rashad. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. I, I always have Felicia, but... Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, I'd recommend it if you like, like a little, I wrote it on my letterbox that it's an instant Christmas classic, which I think I do agree with and stuff. So like, but yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought it was really cute. Awesome. Well, that is, uh, that concludes our year end wrap up. Uh, we're going to see a few more movies this year that came out this year. Uh, and I saw a bunch, Ian saw a bunch that I didn't see and. We're going to try to go see Babylon. Man, I wish I could have gotten to see Tar. I've heard only amazing things about Tar. I have conflicted feelings about The Whale because I don't like the fat suit. But also, I love Brendan Fraser, as we all do. It, I it's all the, the teaser trailer that just came out for The Whale because I guess it's starting to more come out. Maybe it's already on DVD or something, but like... I Aronofsky's very hit or miss for me, and I really don't love the premise of the whale. And from everything I've heard, is that Brendan Fraser has one of the best performances of all time, but the story fucking sucks, and the, it's not great, which is probably true. But I did see they finally released. I'm so sick of seeing that same image of Brendan Fraser looking. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because that's the only thing when you see. Yeah. So they finally released a new trailer, and it basically shows him getting really emotional and crying and screaming, and it makes me even more excited for his performance. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it'll come out. Like, some of this shit hits closer to award season, like once nominations get them out, announced, but it'll be at school. I don't know, man. Like, the Will just... also is one that I don't really feel like I have to see in the theater. It's oh, absolutely not. It's not a thrill ride. It's... No, it's also Brendan Fraser in a fat suit eating spaghetti sandwiches. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, some of the ones I have some list on here that you already talked about, so I'll talk about those. But like, I kind of want to see Bardo. Yeah, I've heard that's good. I've heard that's Mary good. Tuesday that's yeah. Uh, see how they run looked really good. It seemed kind of middling. Like I, I know nothing about it. I just kept seeing it, and I was yeah. like. I was like, okay, what what are reviewers saying? And it seemed kind of middling, so I'm sort of like, I could watch something else. Yeah. And then I'm going to see, not tomorrow, but, well, tomorrow I'm going to watch Day of the Beast, which we did, or which you guys did on the podcast. Um, and then the December 26th, I was in Matilda the Musical playing Trench Bowl, so they're releasing that, and I've already seen clips of that, and that looks fantastic, so I'm going to watch that. Uh, and also Netflix is releasing, for some goddamn reason, I don't understand the thinking behind this at all, but they, uh, I think it's Noah Bombach made an adaptation of Don DeLillo's White Noise. Yes. Starring Adam Driver. And Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'll probably watch that because I read that book ages ago. Did you read that? I don't. Yeah, uh, I, I've read a, few, a little bit of Don DeLillo. Uh, White Noise was the first because a uh, friend of the show, Spring Moore, recommended it to me. I, I don't remember much about it, but I remember it will probably not make a good movie. I've seen some people say it's one of the best adaptations. Uh, I really like Bombac. Um, so, like, yeah, I was actually really interested in it because it also just looked good. Like, I'm, I'm, I like I'm Driver. I like Greta Gerwig. Like, I like those people. So, I'd probably check that one out too. But I haven't read the book. Like a bomb shelter, right? 
Mm, I don't. I just know that there's some sort of airborne toxic event. Yeah, like something's in the air and they can't leave, so they're in a shelter. And yeah, yeah, looks good. I'll have to check it out. Do you have any films coming out next year that you're excited for? Oh, uh, John Wick Four was Disappointment Boulevard. Now is yeah. Bo. Bo. Uh, I. I, I think that's coming out next year. I, I don't know. I don't have, like, a lot on my radar yet. I'm excited for Barbie. Barbie's going to be interesting. It's yeah. going to be interesting. I wish they would. Here's what movie theaters need to do for Barbie, is they need to have, like, adults-only showing. <laughs> so, like, you can you can go see Barbie and not feel like a creep because, like, you're potentially among a bunch of very young girls. Well, I don't think it's going to be a kid's movie by any means. But I, kids are still going to want to see it. Unless it comes out rated fucking X. I think it's like, rated parent, either PG-13 or R. It, it's not going to be rated R. Maybe not. But, like, I don't... It's not... I do, for Maybe I'm wrong about this, but it does not seem like it's a kid's movie. By I mean, the scenes that came out is Barbie getting sexually harassed, so I don't know why that would be in a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. All I've seen is the teaser trailer, so I don't know. But, I saw the uh, teaser trailer. Someone slaps Margot Robbie's ass, and like that was a big thing that started going around because they got pictures from the set of that and everything. Uh, I don't think that would be in a kids movie, but I don't know. But because what happens is like she turns around like a doll and then punches him in the face. That's all I've seen. Excited with an asterisk for Oppenheimer. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. I don't give a shit. Like I don't care. Um, I don't. Uh, I'll probably see it at some point, but like, I've seen all of Christopher Nolan's films, I yeah. think, and I just like at least Tenant. As much as I hated Tenant, like it seemed kind of interesting. Oppenheimer. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, Doctor grows his own corn, has made an atomic explosion. I guess I'm supposed to give a shit about yeah, this fair. movie who about the dude who ruined everybody's lives for all time. I was more interested because like when we did us history, Oppenheimer was someone I focused on like learning about and stuff. And like, he was very big part of like the communist party. His wife was a member of the communist party. He was like flirting with communists, like ideals and stuff. So like, that's more interesting. Not the part about, I mean, I swear to God, if it celebrates Oppenheimer, I'm never going to fucking watch it because he was an awful human being. I don't, I don't think it will. But he was also a very mental, not mentally well, broken man. And I think that, and also I just love Killian Murphy. Sure. Um, the other films I'm excited for is Inside with uh, Willem Dafoe we kind of talked about. Oh, yeah, we, we did talk about that a little bit where it's uh, pretty much just him and he's trapped inside of a place he tries to art burgle. Yep. Uh, Coke uh, here. Oh, Cocaine Bear. Uh, yeah, maybe, I guess. I hope it's, it's as fun as I want it to be. Like, no, I, I am fully hoping that Cocaine Bear will be great fun. I just don't. I I have my doubts about, because this is schlock. Like, this has to be a schlocky movie. Yes. This has to be exploitation. I just don't see a studio delivering on that. That's true. I like Ray Liotta quite a lot in R.I.P. and he's in it and he looks fun, so. 
Yeah, well, he is he the cocaine bear? Did they just... No, he plays the drug dealer who has the cocaine that he gets. Gotcha. I don't think there's a guy in that. I think they might use a real bear, to be honest. I hope they did. If they use a real bear, then it'll, then I'll watch it, because that'd be fun. It would be fun, but also that sucks for that bear. That's true. Well, I don't think they gave the real bear cocaine. No, well, that might make us stay better. Like it's still a fucking enslaved bear. Like I don't. Well, yeah. I, I've, I, I, bear, but yeah. I. Part of me wants to be like, yes, use a real animal. It looks better. At the same time, if an animal doesn't have to get like fucking hit because it's not hitting its marks, That's, yeah. like give me a digital animal. Like I don't care. It's worth it. I want to see a real animal, but only if it's treated humanely. Yeah, but it's also like you can't fucking domesticate a bear. No. Like you can't. To make a bear safe to be around, you have to do some pulling of teeth, of claws, of whatever. Use a digital bear. I don't care. Like I've always wanted to own like a circus bear that didn't have like its teeth or its claws. And like I could just like sit on its belly and we could like roll down hills together. But like. (laughs) I also understand that bear would be in pain a lot of the time, and I'd have to feed him, like, pear, pear mush. You should get Baloo oh. in the Jungle Book. Yeah, no, that's why I want a pet bear, dog. Like, of course, it's because of Baloo. It's because of Baloo, and it's because of uh, John Irving. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, uh, one I'm, ex- I'm not excited for, but kind of interested in is Wonka. And the yeah, sure. More power to you. Wonka is the director is Paul King, who did Paddington too. Yes, I, I saw that, and I believe he also wrote it. Yeah. Um, so there's that, and I like Timothy Chalamet well mm-hmm. enough. I have no expect like I don't like Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or anything like that. Like, no, yeah. I, 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 I don't hold those movies as dear as many people. I hope this movie is good. I hope it's fun. Yeah. But I have no dog in that fight. No. No, I'm most excited for Bo's Afraid and Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I'm sure a lot of amazing movies that are not even on our radar yet Uh come out next year. Um, Uh, So, yeah. Is that coming out next year? I have no clue. Robert Eggers is Nosferatu? Yeah, I know what you mean. I have no clue. Uh, Like, I don't follow this stuff i don't follow movie news i follow news more closely about like physical releases than i do about theatrical releases and we'll continue to watch movies remotely uh next week we are taking off because i have to work six days in a row during the holiday and i am already exhausted so um uh ian anything else you want to say uh no i'm just loved uh, watching movies with you this year. Absolutely, bud. You're a great movie buddy. We want to also wish a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to former co-host Billy Martell if he's listening. Uh, always close to our heart and close in proximity. All right. Uh, we will see you soon. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>